Good morning. So, we know that Jesus is risen. Okay, we're done. Okay, yeah. Okay, so we celebrated it last week, and it was it was really fantastic having the two congregations coming together and, and worshiping um, at Wash Common last week. So we believe that Jesus is risen, but why why do we believe it? Is it was it credible? The witnesses were, were they credible? Um, can we trust the witnesses? Okay. Of course we can, but that's, you know, some people can't. But it says in Deuteronomy, chapter 19, verse 15, that a lone witness is not sufficient to establish any wrongdoing or sin against a man, regardless of what the offence is that he has committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So according to the Jewish law, if you wanted to establish a fact as something that is true, there has to be more than one witness. Okay. So do we have more than one witness to the fact that Jesus Christ raised from the dead? Now, before we talk about the resurrection, let me just confirm something to you. Because I once heard someone say, oh, oh, actually, Jesus didn't actually die. He was just, you know just kind of fainted, and then when they put him in the tomb, he came round and got up and walked out. <clears throat> okay, could that be possible? Let's have a look. First of all, right, the soldiers, the Romans, were the ones that executed him. They were used to executing people, and they knew what a dead body looked like. And so when they came to Jesus and they looked, he died quicker than they thought, so they checked that he was dead. They got a spear, it says, that one of the soldiers got a spear and rammed it into his side and water and blood flowed out. Now, um, I, I did a bit of Google thing like Andy did last week and I discovered that it's likely um, that because it was water and blood, he must have pierced the pericardial sac, which is the sac that covers the heart that protects the heart from movement and, and your breathing and everything. It's, um, and it's got like a liquid in it that protects the heart. And so as the soldiers stabbed him in the heart, the, the, heart, the blood and the liquid from the pericardial sac flowed out. Um, and I, I also discovered that if your pericardial sac is damaged, um, it can be quite quite serious situation that you'll find yourself in um, and you really need medical attention quite quickly so so here we have Jesus who's been flogged he's hung on a tree he's shouted out and breathed his last he's lying there sort of like not really not breathing now the soldiers double checked that he's dead by shoving the sword into his side the pericardial is broken and water's coming out. He doesn't have medical attention. He's taken off a cross and he's put in a tomb and he lays in a tomb for two days. Even Bruce Willis on Die Hard <laughs> movies could not survive that, okay? Jesus was definitely dead when they put him in the tomb. The soldiers will have checked that. 
okay? So he was in the tomb for two days and then he rose again. And it says, right, I'm going to explain to you now that in the upper room were the disciples and the people who had witnessed the resurrection. There were 125 of them. So 125 people all saw Jesus alive after he had raised after he'd been dead for two days, okay? That is, um, if my mass is correct, 123 people more than what was needed by law to confirm a fact, to establish the fact. So when, when we look at, you know, we read the Bible, um, and, and we've got records of several of those 125, but it, it says that, that they were gathered together and Jesus, uh, Peter, sorry, one of the 125 on the day of Pentecost, he gets up and he gives an account of the resurrection in front of a whole bunch of people. And at the end of that compelling story or compelling testimony, 3,000 people get baptized they come into the kingdom they decide yeah that's really really great that i'm going to believe that i trust that um, it's got to be true because of the way that these people were standing behind peter saying there's 125 of us we all saw jesus christ rise from the dead That's, that's 2,998 people more than what you baptised last week. So can you imagine doing that an extra 2,998 times? You'd have muscles by the end of that, wouldn't you? No, she's got them now. <laughs> <laughs> so Peter stands up with... The 11 and the rest of the 125 that were with him, or 124 people. Um, and we read now in Acts, he says, it says that Peter stood up with the 11 and lifted up his voice to address the crowd. Men of Judah and all of Jerusalem, let it be known to you, listen carefully to my words. These men, with people behind me, are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. No, it's what this spoken by the prophet Joel and he goes on to explain that the guys even though they're acting a bit drunk because they've had this like amazing powerful experience with Holy Spirit their, their, their bodies are reacting they're reacting to what Holy Spirit is doing in their life and they look drunk and he's like they're not drunk it's okay it's the Holy Spirit um, and then he goes on to explain what happened and Emma's going to come and read that out to you She's a bit taller than me, so she's going to use that one. <laughs> but not as tall as Joel. <laughs> so this is from Acts 2. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, 
because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. And you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of, dead, of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amen. Thank you. So verse 32, he says, God has raised Jesus to life, to which we are all witnesses. So I thought we'd just have a little look, go back a week and, and go back to the Easter story and just look at, at what happened on that morning. You know, how did they witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And so I'm, I'm looking at John 20, but I'm not going to actually read it. I'm going to talk about it and, and illustrate it, hopefully, um, because it's, it, it's fascinating how it came about. So it says on, it was like early on the first day of the week, so Sunday was the first day of the week. And it says Mary Madeline and, and some other, uh, the other um, version says that Mary and, and she brought some women with her. She went to the tomb because she wanted to put some spices and some nice smelling things on Jesus so that, you know, that, that it would smell nice. But the stone which had been placed over the tomb, the door, had been moved away. And she's like, hmm. And when she looked into the tomb, she noticed that the body had gone. Now, she's like a bit perplexed. She's really distressed. 
She's in mourning. She wanted to put the oils on Jesus's body and he's not there. So she goes running to Peter and John. It says the other disciple, which I'm assuming is John because he's the one that wrote it. And she says, uh, they're gone. He's gone. He's gone. He's, he's, they've taken him. I don't know where the body is. We don't know what's happened, what's going on. And can you, you know, imagine that sort of like distress that this poor woman's under? So Peter and the other disciple, it says, ran to the tomb. Um, the other disciple gets there first. He's probably a bit more athletic. He's looking in. Peter runs in. And Peter, you, you can see the, um, the personalities in, in this story. So, so, you know, John's sort of like the gentle, I love Jesus, I lay my head on his shoulder, I'm really kind of calm and gentle sort of bloke. And Peter's the one that's always putting his foot in it by saying the wrong things. And he, so he goes barging into the tomb. John follows in more tentatively, and sure enough, he's gone. The clothes are just lying on the slab, with, you know, and the, the head thing's been folded up and laid separately. What's going on? So they then return back to the other disciples, totally perplexed, totally distressed. The body's gone. Can't even now honour the body of the dead because he's gone. And Mary kind of lingers around, still distressed. She looks in and she sees, she sees an angel sitting there. And the angel says, woman, why are you weeping? And she's like, I don't know where my Lord is. He's gone, he's gone. And the angel's like, but he's not here. Why are you looking for someone who is dead when, you know, in the place of the dead when he's not dead sort of thing? You don't look for someone who's alive in a tomb. Uh, but she's, she's not really taking it in fully because of her grief and her mourning. And she turns around and she sees someone who she thinks is the gardener. He's just stood there. And so she asks him, what have you done with him? Whereas he's like gone, I don't know where he is. And he's like, woman, why are you weeping? What's wrong? And she doesn't recognise him because she's not focused on looking at his face. She's just in grief. And I know what grief feels like. It's not very pleasant, is it? It's like a, a gut-wrenching, oh. And she's feeling that. And then... This, who she thinks is the gardener says to her, Mary. And immediately she recognises it's Jesus. Because he said her name over and over and over again all through the three years that she'd been following him. And now he says it, Mary. She turns to him and just says in Hebrew, Rabboni. She's like, oh, teacher, it's you. Like, I try to imagine what is going on in her heart in that moment, what's going on in her emotions. I, the next verse says, is the next line is Jesus saying, Mary, don't cling to me because I'm going to go to be with my father now. And I can only imagine what happened in that moment. Can you, like she discovers that this Jesus who she thought was dead is alive. He stood in front of her. She has to be hugging him like a mother hen. She's got her arms around him. She's so excited. She's holding him. And he's like, woman, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me. In other words, like, I've got to go. Go and tell. Bless you, Rebecca. <laughs> go and tell the other disciples. I've seen 
So she does. And of course, then Jesus goes back to his father and sees his father in the meantime. But then she goes back and she says to the guys, I've seen him. He's alive. She, they don't really believe her. They are, again, they're really caught up in their own grief. And here's this woman now, Mary Madeline, going, I've seen him. I've seen him. He's not dead. He's alive. And they're like, oh. Good grief, she's lost it. You know, like, you can imagine them like going, Oh no, someone, what do we do with Mary? You know, what how do we help her? There's a problem here. We might need to get psychiatry involved, you know, like what's going on? And and it's not till the evening that Jesus then appears to these guys, but in the meantime, he appears to two guys on the road. One of them's called Cleopas, and I'm not sure what the other name of the other one is, but they're walking on a road to Emmaus and now we're in Luke so Luke kind of like slip, slots in in the middle of the story I think this is the order if it's wrong forgive me but I think this is the next bit they're on the road they are also stricken with grief and they're talking with each other and Jesus comes alongside and ends up just joining the conversation and he's like so what's wrong then you know what what and they're like what you've not heard have you not heard that like, they crucified him like the man that was going to free us from Rome? You know, they was going to be the Messiah. He was going to set us free. And he's dead. They crucified him two days ago. Three days ago. You not heard. And so then Jesus says, well, actually, let me just explain a few things to you. And he explains to them the truth of the scriptures. That actually, this was the plan all along he explains to them from the beginning about you know i can imagine you know, it's a long journey so he's explaining you know adam and eve fell and and we came up with this like amazing plan and um and you know god was going to send his son and he was going to die but then he was going to rise again and so by the time they get to where they're going jesus has explained to them the truth from the scriptures that this was going to happen then they break bread together and, and then suddenly they, they figure out who he is. Like suddenly revelation, ah, oh, it is Jesus. I, I wonder whether, you know, as he breaks the bread, they, I heard perhaps they, you know, they saw his scars and then suddenly they understood who had been talking to them. And, and it says, didn't a hot burn inside of us? Like they, they obviously were experiencing the very presence of God as they walked along the road and as Jesus explained the truth to them and now they've got revelation Jesus Christ is alive and it's it says I think it's seven miles so there was a seven mile trip it says they then ran back to the disciples so you've got Mary going on I've seen the Lord these two disciples come in we've seen him we've broken bread with him he's alive and they're like ah what is going on? And then it says, then, um, uh, where are we? That very evening. So, still on the Sunday, but in the evening now. So the, the disciples have waited all day. Jesus left them all day to sort of like wallow in their the confusion and what have you. But he joins them that evening, like supernaturally, appears to them. And it's like, peace be to you. Peace be with you. You know, he's the Prince of Peace, isn't he, Jesus? When we are in his presence, we have access to his peace. So he turns up in front of 
the disciples and just says, peace. He knows that they've all been in turmoil. He knows that they've, they've been struggling with grief and pain and fear and, and distress. The first thing he gives them is peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And then he says to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am also sending you. Receive Holy Spirit. And then he says a really interesting line. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Point to ponder. Think about. I'll leave that there. But he's given them the peace. And they are now in the circle of, yes, we've seen the risen Christ. Okay, so there's the, the, there will be ten disciples plus the women Plus the two walked on the road to Emmaus. Within the first day, they'd all seen him alive. Now, one of the disciples wasn't there. And that was Thomas. Not sure where he was. Who knows what he was doing at that moment. But he wasn't with them at the time. So he then comes along. Um, and, and they're all like, like ecstatic. He's alive. He's alive, Thomas. And Thomas is like, what? They're like, he is alive. We've seen him. He is alive. And now Thomas is like, uh, unless I see him for myself, unless I get to touch his wounds and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe that because I, I can't. I just can't. I, he, he couldn't get his head around what the disciples were saying. I've heard that he's been called the Doubting Thomas, but I think he was just someone who wanted evidence. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a disappointing thing because now for the whole week, this poor Thomas is having to endure everyone going, we've seen the Lord, he's alive, hallelujah. And he's like, I don't know if I can believe this. Oh, the last time I saw him, he was dead. They were putting him in a tomb. He's, uh, and it says like the whole week, the, you know, the eighth day, he had to wait a whole week. And then Jesus appears to him while he's with the others. And the first thing he says again, as he turns up and he's confronting Thomas, the first thing he says to Thomas is, peace be with you. And then he says, okay, so you wanted to put your hands here, come on, and here, come on, you can do it, Thomas, it's all right, it's real, there's a hole, there's a gaping hole, touch my side. Thomas just kind of went, oh, my Lord, my God, was his response, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. And Jesus said, look, Thomas, it's great. You know, I can, this is my paraphrase. It's like really great that you can see you now believe because you've seen. He says, but blessed are those who have not actually seen but choose to believe. Blessed are those. That's us, actually, because unless we've had a, a, a revelation like Paul did, 
of Jesus Christ, which can happen. I don't know if anybody in this room has actually seen Jesus for themselves yet, but we have chosen to believe, and Jesus said we are blessed by God because of that. Jesus appeared to many others throughout the, that period of time before he actually ascended. Um, but that's just the story of those who are closest to Jesus. They are credible witnesses. Because, they, you know, there was the occasion where Jesus cooked breakfast for the disciples and then they sat down and had a meal together. Okay, so Jesus wasn't an apparition or a ghost or anything like that. He had a meal with his disciples. He was able to cook. He was able to eat. He was breathing. He was communicating. He was loving. He is alive. He's real. And there is evidence for that written in the Bible. And I love how, you know, that during that breakfast that they had, Jesus and Peter had that lovely conversation. Um, you know, Peter had denied Jesus three times. He just didn't have what it took at the time in his own strength to stand firm in his faith. And he denied Jesus three times. And he knew that Jesus had seen that. He knew. And now he's having breakfast with him on the beach and I, and I can imagine Peter feeling a little rather guilty at this moment in time um, thinking gosh he knows that I denied him and here he is the risen Christ he's just cooked me breakfast I wonder what Peter was going through and then Jesus has this conversation about you know Peter do you love me and you know I love you and and the conversation goes back into you and then Jesus reaffirms Peter and commissions him to lead the church to begin the church, to start the church and get the church going. And it's, it's just amazing. And Peter does, because he, goes, he, he has that, that sermon on the day of Pentecost and the church starts on that day. Mm -hmm. 3,000 plus the 125. 3,125, first church ever to exist. Those who saw Jesus rose from the dead. And I think that this is also, this also helps us believe that it's true, okay? Because um, I did another googly thing like Andy did last week, and if it's good enough for Andy, it's good enough for me. Um, if you were there last week, he was explaining, he did some research on Google. Each of the disciples, barring one, were martyred. Jesus according to like historic writings and um, tradition, uh, Christian tradition so I'm just going to go through very quickly how each of them died because they believed the truth was so powerful to them they were worth it was worth dying for their faith in Jesus Christ was worth dying for okay so Judas well sadly he hung himself didn't choose to repent there would have been forgiveness there would have been salvation 
if he'd have asked for it, but he didn't. He didn't. He just hung himself. Um, and he's the one that betrayed Jesus. Okay. So James, the brother of John, was beheaded. And that is actually recorded in the Bible. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome at 66 AD. Jude was beaten, then crucified in Turkey. Andrew was crucified in Greece. Thomas was pierced through with a spear in Syria. Philip was arrested for converting the proconsuls. Can't get that out. Wife. Um, and, and what they did to him was they put hooks into his angle, hung, ankles and then hung him upside down until he died. Matthew was speared through to the ground in Ethiopia. And then Bartholomew, I couldn't find any details, it just said he was martyred. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death in Syria. Simon the Zealot was sawn in, crucified, then sawn in two for not worshipping the sun god. Matthias, who replaced Judas, was stoned and then burned to death. John actually died of natural causes. However, before he died of natural causes, he was marooned on the Isle of Patmos, which was a prison island. And then apparently he was boiled in oil and survived it. Miraculously. Um, Paul, who wasn't one of the 12, but was the one that saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was beheaded by Emperor Nero. Apparently Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Madeline both died of natural causes. But each one of those disciples, I, I think if they hadn't really seen Jesus alive, they would not have had the courage to die like that. I think they'd have buckled quite quickly at the beginning of the persecution and said, All right, it, it was a joke. You know, we were just trying to up our, 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 our ticks on, on Facebook or what's the other one, Twitter. We were, we were trying to, you know, grow our Twitter account. They'd have buckled. They'd have, they would not have had the courage to die like that had it not been true that they saw Jesus alive. And I think that's, that's like really encouraging to us. If we're sort of like have any doubts or whatever, we can get rid of those doubts because it is absolutely a really strong fact that Jesus rose again. So what does that mean for us, really? What does it mean for us? It means that there's a great cloud of witnesses, as Paul put it, in um, well, whoever, sorry, the writer to Hebrews put it in Hebrews. It says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. In other words, all those who had faith in God in times past to this point who have gone on to be with him are like a cloud of witnesses. They're sort of there, they're, but, but, but now we're the ones who are holding the baton. We're the ones who are carrying the witnesses with the cloud of witnesses behind us. It's like, it's, I like to, to think that they're like edging us on, you know, encouraging us, saying, you can do it. You can do it. So Hebrews says this, 
Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every encumbrance, that's heavy weight and stuff that's holding us down, and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who's alive, okay, he's alive, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he's now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. All these witnesses that have gone on before us, those who have carried the faith of Jesus Christ, those who have, you know, there's so many people who have lost their lives, who have you know, gone through life, even if they've died of natural causes, people of faith, now it's our turn to be the people of faith and to stand and to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. And do you know what the key is to being strong, powerful witnesses? goes back to that day of Pentecost when Jesus said, receive my Holy Spirit. He says, wait in Jerusalem till the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you will be my witnesses. And that's what changed for Peter, the one who was too scared to say he knew Jesus. The one who was now in Jerusalem stood in front of crowds of people declaring that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is risen. Because he had received Holy Spirit. And that's what we need, or who we need, I should say. We need him in our lives. We need to receive his power, his anointing, so that we can be witnesses and we can carry that baton well and shine the light of Jesus Christ to the community that we serve. Let's pray. Joel, if you want, when you're ready. But Father, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you, Jesus, that when we communicate with you, we're not communicating to a corpse. We are talking to the risen Savior. Thank you that you love us, that you endured the cross for us. Now help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to be witnesses for you, sharing your love with the people around us in our everyday lives. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and that you would fill us, fill us with your power and with your anointing. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask this. Amen.